Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Finally back from the brig of extinction. Why would two men venture into the dangerous waters of sports talk in Wichita? I have the answer. It's because some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. But I say these two men are exactly where they need to be back, finally, from hiatus on the brink of college football. And with that, we welcome you in to the Keeper of the Games podcast. This is a milestone episode. This is episode number 75, and we are welcomed back I do have a co-host as I live and breathe. Thomas Castor, the fourth, is on the show. Tommy, what's going on? You you look, I have to say, a little tired. Not as tired as maybe I thought you would be. The new father trying to pull it out. Do you remember how to do this show? You know, it's going to be tough. Um, I've been telling people, and I'll tell you the same thing, that I feel like I have officially graduated from being exhausted to just being tired. Uh, and that that is a milestone for me. Uh, but no, things are good. Um, I wasn't there was a, a moment. I'll be honest with our listeners out there. There was a moment that I wasn't sure that we were going to get to episode 75. Um, you know, just a lot of transitions on the podcast. Obviously, Weston Mills is no longer on the show. Uh, Blake, you and I, uh, our plan was to continue on and to, to forge forward. Um, but I'll be honest, I sort of underestimated the toughness of being a new dad. Dad, and it kicked my butt for a while. And so there, there were a couple times I'm like, is this going to work out? Uh, but I'm happy that we're here. And you know what? I feel like we took a break at a pretty decent time, you know, other than baseball uh, in the month of August, not a whole lot happening. Preseason football, I guess, uh, is underway, but we're back just in time for the college football season. The NFL kicks off just around the corner. So there's a lot to get to. There is absolutely a ton to get to. Uh, obviously, we are going to be Big 12 football heavy this week, but I do have a couple other things that I want to pick Tommy's brain about that have happened while he was away. And, of course, we do want to welcome you back into the show, all of our diehard listeners. Thank you. We have finally come back, and we're at cogsports.com. All the socials are still the same. Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games at Cogpod on Twitter. The best place for the podcast, as always, is Cogpod dotpodomatic.com you can watch the videos on our facebook page also on youtube make sure you like share and subscribe and the audio we spray it just about everywhere iHeartRadio, tune in radio spotify google apple and much much more coming up on the show it is our official big 12 football preview we will get to kansas we will get to kansas state and the rest of the conference and of course the return of the wichita whip around but first We mentioned that August was pretty quiet, and sports-wise, it was. But there was one huge, gigantic, monstrous, notable exception, and that was conference realignment. I invite you to check out my thoughts on conference realignment in episode number 74 on the podcast. Go and download it. Listen to it after you get done with this one. Go watch it after you get done with this one. I spent an hour. I had no idea that I could actually talk for an hour on my own about a subject without having somebody to play off of. And I've never done anything like that before, but I, I feel like I've pretty much exhausted. I may have a couple things to add today, but I, I gave my at length 
discussion on conference realignment as we knew it at that time. Of course, we do have a couple of updates. The SEC, obviously, it is official now. They are getting Oklahoma and Texas. As of today, as we're doing this, this show is going to come out on September 1st, 2021. As of today, the SEC is not planning to add the Red River rivals until 2025. Could that change? It might change seconds after we post this show. Who knows? But as of today, that's still the case. The Big the Big 12 seems to be on the outside looking in as the Pac-12, the Big 10, and the ACC all have banded together to form a scheduling alliance, and people are probably thinking, what does that really mean? What it could mean is an alliance of television deals when all of them come up. Now, the ACC is the kink because their deal with ESPN runs through 2035, whereas the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, their television deals are going to be up here in just a couple of years on the same cycle. What happens when those three leagues get together? Who knows? Everybody was very complimentary about the schools in the Big 12, but they weren't complimentary enough to offer anybody an actual membership in their leagues. Tommy, I know that this was, you know, in my opinion, this is probably going to end up being, unless KU football or Kansas State football plays for the national championship, this will be the biggest story, probably in sports in our neck of the woods, for the entire season. I guess the other exception would be if Wichita State announces they're bringing back football. Those are the only three scenarios I can think of that would be bigger than this. What are your thoughts? What were your thoughts on the initial announcement of conference realignment, Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC? And how are you sitting now as a fan of one of the affected schools, one of the most affected schools, Kansas here, as we're about to enter Labor Day weekend? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. So the day that this all broke, um, was I was actually filling in uh, on a local sports uh, radio show, a uh, radio program, along with Jacob Albrocht from KWC and, and doing a nice job. Thank by you. The way. I, I appreciate that. Um, so the day that that broke was the last day that I filled in, and I, I've not been on sports talk radio since. So, I, and I obviously have not been a part of the podcast since. So, um, yeah, I gave some initial thoughts then, but haven't had a, a chance to really discuss it at length, you know, ever since that time. But when it broke, I remember thinking. You know, first off, uh, number one, this is 1000% about money. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it is what it is. Texas and Oklahoma are looking after their own rear ends. They're looking after their own bottom lines. Uh, we all know how challenging the year 2020 was financially for institutions and athletic departments. That was made pretty clear, especially here locally. We heard all about how, especially the University of Kansas, their athletic department was running at a severe deficit throughout the year 2020. And I can imagine that, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, when you look at the last season with the COVID restrictions and things like that, the bottom line was hurting a little bit. So they wanted to go where the grass was greener on the other side. They wanted to go where they had the opportunity for a big payday. And, you know, ultimately the TV deals, the TV rights, what the SCC has, the ever evolving landscape of what television deals even look like, both traditional broadcast and streaming digital television, it all plays into it. Uh, but the, the one element that I think a lot of people are overlooking and maybe not talking about quite as much, you know, they're talking about the conferences, they're talking about who's going to end up where in these musical chairs, what they're not necessarily talking about all that much that I think is Maybe the biggest storyline out of all of this is that, in my opinion, this was the 
second domino, not the first, but the second domino to fall in the ultimate demise of the NCAA. Uh, the first domino was the NIL deal that came out back in July. Um, the fact that now, you know, college athletes are going to be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness that set everything into play. The fact that Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC, and then you've got an alliance between the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, leads me to believe that conferences are going to be a lot more autonomous. They're going to have a lot more authority. There will not be a more powerful entity in college athletics than the Southeastern Conference when 2025 rolls around. They will be more powerful than the NCAA is. Don't make any mistake about it. So in my opinion, that's the biggest storyline from a 30,000 foot view from a macro level that this spells the end of the NCAA and their reign in college athletics. That is something that hasn't been talked about a lot. And I actually totally agree. When you put together those three leagues, the, the ACC, the big 10 and the PAC 12, they rival the sec and the sec. I agree is actually more powerful than the NCAA. Why, if you are the athletic director at Alabama, Texas, Auburn, and Florida, what the hell do you need some group? I don't even know where the NCAA is. Based Indianapolis. What do, you, what do you need Mark Emmert, mm-hmm. who is sipping a latte in Indianapolis, what the hell do you need him for at this point? The, the NCAA was a marketing arm. It was an avenue to provide a... I guess, a television deal. Obviously, they run all of the national championships, except for college football, which is the most important and the biggest one. But they run, you know, the the College World Series is enormously profitable. March Madness is enormously profitable. The women's basketball tournament has been making more money. The women's College World Series has been making more money. So they do operate all of these national championships but if you're in the power five and you have these 60 or so schools don't you think that they can come up with a way that will benefit them enrich them they you don't think that they can find a way figure something out to crown a national champion in all of the sports that they care about and just cut the ncaa out and get all the television money directly to the schools. Obviously, there will be some administrative things that need to be taken care of. You're going to have to have some sort of a council, some sort of leadership to fill the void of the NCAA. But make no mistake, it'll be run completely by the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC. Those will be the four. And, you know, perhaps... Perhaps whatever scraps that are left of the Big 12, assuming that they are not absorbed into the other Power Four conferences or assuming that they are not able to create a viable fifth conference or the worst case scenario that they're left on the outside looking in entirely from a micro perspective. What are your thoughts, Tommy, on how it affects the schools that we care about? Obviously, most directly affected are Kansas State and Kansas But if the Big 12 were to poach some teams from the American Conference, that may not have a very good impact on Wichita State. Well, first off, you know, I I don't believe that this is going to drag out until 2025. That's not in the best interest of any party. It's not in the best interest of the SEC or the Big 12 
or Texas and Oklahoma or the remaining schools uh, in in the Big 12. It doesn't benefit anybody when you have a. And you heard the Pac-12 commissioner actually say this un the, the unsettling of college athletics is not good for anybody. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And so you know, think about it this way. You know, I, when I first heard 2025, I was like, oh, it's not that long. You know, from now, that's four years. That's four years <laughs> Never gonna of happen. a lame duck Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12. I just don't see the benefit to that whatsoever. There, there will be a settlement between all the parties involved to allow Texas and Oklahoma out of their Big 12 deal, out of the media contracts. And even if Texas and Oklahoma have to pay to get out, and they will have to pay to get out, the payday on the other side with the SEC is going to be so much greater. So I don't see any scenario where, you know, even after this upcoming season where you'll see Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12. And then honestly, you know, I, I hate to be chicken little. I hate to be the pessimist around here. There's not a future for the Big 12. There's not a path forward for the Big 12. I know there have been all these, you know, different speculations about, okay, well, maybe there's an opportunity for the American to come in. Uh, you, you, you automatically, I mean, by losing Texas and OU, the Big 12, their power drops significantly. And it doesn't really get a whole lot better by adding several teams from the American. Even if you are bringing in like four or five teams from the American, you're you're replacing Texas and OU with American schools. And, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with the American, but it just doesn't hold a candle to what Texas and OU bring. Not from a marketing not from a, and yeah, television perspective. Not from perspective. a marketing and television and ratings and advertising perspective. The competition could sure, be pretty good. Absolutely. Could still be a hell of a football and, and basketball conference. Sure. But in terms of what marketers and, and the people who are buying television yep. deals, you know, they're saying like 60%, I yep. think, is what the Big 12, it, that's how much they're going to to lose yeah. of their current value once those two schools leave. There's no combination of schools no. outside of getting Notre Dame, which ain't going to happen, that there's no school that can bring that in. So at that point, you're losing that revenue from Texas and OU. You're making up potentially only a fraction of that. There's not a viable financial path forward for the Big 12, in my opinion, especially considering that the ACC, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have all teamed up. If there was a path forward for the Big 12, you better believe Bob Bullsby from the Big 12 would have been a part of that meeting, too, to be a part of that strategic alignment with those other three conferences. It didn't happen. He wasn't a part of it. The Big 12 was shut out from that. So there's really no path forward from a conference perspective for the Big 12. And so it's going to be, you know, I, I know that you've seen uh, the different athletic directors. I know Kirby Hokut from Texas Tech, um, you know, Travis Goff from KU. They've come out with statements saying we're committed to the viability of the Big 12, but they're only going to be committed to the viability of the Big 12 as long as it benefits each individual school. And then it's going to be yeah. every school for themselves to try to figure out a good landing place. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't disagree with you. When you look at the competition from a football perspective, you know, you'd be, if you added some American schools, you could add Houston. They've got a great football program you could add smu they've historically had a good football program obviously we know about houston and wichita state in basketball you know so there are some competition opportunities there but it just is not financially viable when you're looking at the tv deals so i think that you'll see a lot of these schools jumping ship pretty soon i mean the dominoes are going to continue to fall it's a house of cards it'll be interesting to see where they all jockey for position and who ends up where. Um, do you have any thoughts on your predictions on where you think these schools might end up? 
No, I, I can't at this point, especially with the Pac-12 already ruling saying, hey, we're not going to be expanding. Now, obviously, if, you know, I, I feel like this is almost a Mexican standoff. Once somebody pulls the trigger, ACC pulls the trigger on a school like West Virginia or the Pac-12 pulls the trigger on a school like Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, maybe Kansas State, or the Big Ten takes Iowa State and Kansas, then I think you will see the other conferences respond, I think. If nobody ends up pulling that trigger, maybe everybody is just kind of left out in the cold. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. One thing I think is very interesting, and I, I will be honest, this is not my point. This was totally ripped off and stolen from Soren Petro, who is on a very highly rated sports talk radio station in Kansas City. And he made the point that perhaps college football is cannibalizing itself for the benefit of now at the risk of its future. And this was the argument that he made. The reason that the NFL is so popular, and I, I agree with it, if I, I wouldn't be saying it if I didn't agree with it. The reason the NFL is so popular is because all of the games, with the exception of you know late in the season when Detroit is playing some awful team from the NFC East and the game doesn't matter, all of the games have natural, natural national interest. Everybody cares because everybody knows who the players are. Even if it's not a team in your market, or a team in your division, people will still watch Patrick Mahomes play for Kansas City. They will still watch Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. They will still watch these big brands, Tom Brady, Terrell Owens, Donovan McNabb, Adrian Peterson, these guys who have been Jerry Rice. Go back as far as you want since like the Joe Montana era. These stars have commanded ratings, and the ratings have only gotten stronger. But the reason that you have those ratings is because the product matters in all of these markets. Even when Kansas City is not as good, people are still interested in watching the NFL. If you take out an entire time zone and tell them, okay, you know what? You guys really don't matter. You guys up there in Washington State, if you try to cannibalize and make everything all about the SEC and nothing outside the SEC is worth a darn, what do people in California need to tune in to watch the SEC game of the week on CBS and soon to be on ESPN ABC? They're not going to watch that game if you take their schools out of the equation. You are risking, you know, you're trying to make your money right now, but the reason that your product is so good, the reason everybody cares about it is because everybody is involved in the end destination. And if you take more of those schools out, obviously, I mean, KU and Kansas State are not that far removed from being in the national championship picture in football. KU in 2007 won those games, that game against Missouri and won the Big 12 championship game. Not saying that they would have beaten Oklahoma, but if they had, they would have played for a national championship. Kansas State in 2012, when they lost to Baylor, or was it 13? When they lost to Baylor, if they would have run the table, they would have played for a national championship. If you take away an entire time zone and, a, and huge schools, by the way, Texas Tech is a huge school. Oklahoma State is a massive school. And I'm not talking about just the central time zone. I'm talking about the teams out west as well. If you take away this thing that everybody cares about now by cannibalizing it and saying, okay, only the Southeastern Conference matters, I agree with Soren Petro on this. I think you risk alienating college football fans to the point where they don't care about the product 
nationally and long term that could affect the marketing and the national tv ratings that they are so dependent on for all of their revenue now you know i I don't necessarily buy that opinion because i think that you can look at what college basketball has done with march madness and you know it, it would be the same thing as saying okay only the blue bloods matter And I don't think that's necessarily the case in basketball. We've seen the rise of the mid-major, you know, the Wichita States and the Gonzagas and, you know, over the years, these other schools, the Villanovas that have come in and they've made their mark uh, nationally, even though there's so much more attention that's being paid to the Dukes and the KUs and the Kentuckys. So I, I don't necessarily agree with that opinion. I also think that we're on the precipice of pretty substantial and transformative change when it comes to to college football, not only with the conference realignment, but like I mentioned before with the NIL, I know that Nick Saban had said that the quarterback for Alabama was approaching nearly a million dollars in endorsement deals. So part of the reason why you've got, you know, Patrick Mahomes and these other guys that are so marketable is because they are able to make money off of who they are and what they do on the field. For the longest time, college athletes or college football players were pretty anonymous because you didn't really hear from them outside of what they did on the field. That's changing now. You're going to have you know the superstars that are going to garner quite a bit more money. Look at a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who was known pretty well nationally. Had he been able to profit off of what he did on the football field, you would have heard all about him all the time during his Clemson career. Can you imagine Tim Tebow if he had the opportunity? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. And that sort of thing is just going to continue. And that's going to help the overall marketability of the brand. Uh, So you've got you've got that. You've also got, you know, the not just the conference realignment, but you've got the expansion of the college football playoff that's going to end up happening. I don't exactly know where that's going to end, but you're going to see more and more teams being able to compete nationally, you know, and and so I would I would buy that argument if we were just sitting at a couple of teams that had an opportunity to win a national championship. Now, ultimately, yeah, it's going to be Alabama. It's going to be probably Oklahoma. I was going to say football is a whole different animal than basketball, and we don't see teams come up and challenge nationally. When was the last non power five team that won a national championship in football? I have no idea who it is. But if you can even get into the game, if you can get into the equation, that's going to give you a little bit more relevance. Um, You know, so even if you're the last seed in the expanded college football playoff, and there's not a chance that you're going to win the national championship, your, your fans are still going to be paying attention to what's going on. And so I do think that that helps the overall marketability. And ultimately, I'm interested to see where things pan out. I think we're going to see a completely different college football landscape uh, in just a couple of years than than what we see right now. And my opinion is I think it's a it's a good thing. I think that college football especially is in need of a little bit of reform. Uh, I enjoy watching college football, but I like the NFL a whole lot more. And I'm kind of excited about some of these changes that we might be seeing with college football. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not excited for KU to wow. maybe be on the outside looking in. We will see how that turns out, obviously. We don't have a crystal ball to find out that information. So with conference realignment in the rear view, we now step forward to our official Big 12 college football preview. And we will start with a team that ought to be a lot better this year, the Kansas State football Wildcats. And Tommy, obviously one of the big factors for Kansas State this year will be the quarterback position. Skylar Thompson, 
should be healthy. Clearly the better option over Will Howard, but Howard will be much better as well. Veteran got a lot of snaps last year, took a lot of lumps, but the quarterback situation for Kansas State clearly better than it was last year. I believe this. I think Deuce Vaughn is going to have an all-conference season for the Kansas State Wildcats. They've got their entire offensive line back from last year, anchored by a Bishop Carroll Golden Eagle, Noah Johnson. He's the center. All the backups and the starters are back. It's going to be the best offensive line in the Chris Kleiman era, and I think Kansas State has a great chance to surprise people in the Big 12. You could tell towards the end of last season that Chris Kleiman was frustrated with the way his sophomore year went at Kansas State, not necessarily on the field. I mean, I think there was frustration there too, but just kind of, I think there was, you know, some, uh, some second year growing pains for Chris Kleiman, getting his culture in place, you know, the newness had worn off. He had a really successful freshman year at Kansas State. And then I, you know, I think the fans in Manhattan, you know, they, they were excited to welcome him, welcome him in. They saw what he was able to do and then they expected him to follow it up in, in 2020. That didn't necessarily happen. Obviously, it was a ridiculous season with COVID and all of that. Weird season. You know, there were yes. all of these different COVID issues that Kansas State was dealing with. I know, I think at one point, their entire offensive line was out uh, due to COVID issues. I mean, it just the depth chart was, was crazy. I know there were even players that, you know, he dismissed from the team that weren't going to fit in, you know, with the culture. So um, I, I'm sure he was ready for that second year to be over with and hopefully get back to some normalcy this season. And the fact that Skylar Thompson announced that he was going to be returning for another season with Kansas State had to have been the cherry on top uh, for Chris Kleiman. Uh, getting that veteran back, getting a guy who has so much experience under center for the Wildcats will bode well. Uh, for the Wildcats this season. There's no doubt about it. Will Howard's a stud, uh, but he was not ready to be thrust into the limelight like he was last season. And so I think getting another season under his belt to be able to learn more from Skylar Thompson. And then, you know, worst case scenario, if he has to play, like you mentioned, he's going to be a lot more prepared and ready to go this season. But I agree with you about Deuce Vaughn. But I'll even take it a step further. I don't even, I don't even think that saying Deuce Vaughn being an all-conference performer is enough. I think Deuce Vaughn can be a national phenomenon. If Kansas State can win football games, especially early on, let's say they go 4-1 and one in their first five games, or they go undefeated to start the season, I think that you're going to see a lot of national pundits not only start to pay attention to Kansas State a little bit more in the Big 12, but also just Deuce Vaughn in general. Uh, we saw what he did to kick off the season last year for Kansas State. You know, he took the country by storm a little bit early on, and I think he'll be able to build on that in, in year number two. So I disagree with you on Deuce Vaughn to that level, but the reason I am going to have to save for the last segment of our college football preview, a spoiler alert, it does have a local tie. One thing that I think that's going to have to happen for Kansas State to have the type of season that they want to have this year, they have got to get more production out of their wide receivers. Vaughn was the leading receiver last year on the team with 25 catches. They had zero wide receivers with over 20 receptions last year. That, it cannot happen this year. Now, they may not have to go to the wide receiver position. Daniel Imatorbebe is a tight end transfer from Illinois, a 6'4", 240-pounder who missed two years at Southern California with a leg injury, but... 
back in the day, and I realized that 2016 is a long time ago. He was an honorable mention all Pac-12 tight end as a freshman and a second team freshman All-American for the Trojans. So maybe he can be the guy that could be the catalyst for increased production, but they have got to get more in the passing game. I think that opens a lot more up for Deuce Vaughn as well. I think that Kansas State, their strength is going to be grinding the clock out, kind of returning to that Bill Snyder identity, ball control. When you have such a great offensive line, I think you have to take advantage of that advantage of that in the ground game. I think it's a great changeup for most of the Big 12 because nobody in the Big 12 really plays like that. Look at what they have done against an offense like Oklahoma that wants to have the ball a lot, wants to have a transition football game up and down with a lot of possessions. They've owned Oklahoma for the last five or so years. Kansas State's going to have to be better defensively. They had a decent pass rush, but they were the worst pass defense team in the Big 12 last year, and their best pass rusher, Wyatt Hubert, he's now playing for the Bengals. So defensively, problems for Kansas State last year guarding the pass. That will have to be improved this year if Kansas State is going to finish in the top half of the conference. So here's my bold prediction for the Wildcats. I think they might be better offensively than they are defensively this season. And we haven't seen that in a couple of years. I think they will be, yeah. uh, You know, from from the Wildcats. In fact, we haven't seen that at all during the Chris Kleiman era. Um, You know, but I do think that there is an opportunity here with the schedule that the Wildcats have where – they could be returning to a bowl game. You know, expectations were really high for Kansas State after year one with Chris Kleiman. And let's not forget, they started off the season really, really well last year. They beat Oklahoma. Let's not forget about that. They beat the Sooners last year. Uh, and yes. there were people that their expectations were sky high for the Wildcats. We talked about it on this program. I think that was around the time that Weston had his baby and you were filling in on the show. <laughs> we were talking quite a bit about, is there an opportunity for Kansas State to even potentially win the Big 12? We were talking about that last fall. Yes. Um, you know, they, obviously they had a, a late season slide and we talked all about that, but, uh, I do think that if the Wildcats can put it together, I think they've got an opportunity to return to a bowl game. They've got a pretty tough non-conference schedule, though. They open the the season up with Stanford on the road. Um, That's not going to be an easy test for the Wildcats. They also play Nevada. Um, So they've got some some tough opponents in the non-conference. But there are beatable teams in the Big 12. Let's not forget, there are some very beatable teams in the Big 12. And all that uh, Kansas State has to do is, is win six games. I think they'll win more than that. I don't know if you saw this, Blake, but their over-under win total prediction is five and a half. And I would hammer the over really? on that all day long. That seems pretty low to me. I think the Wildcats have the opportunity to win seven or eight games this season uh, and, and return to a bowl game. So, uh, yeah, if I were a betting man, which I'm honestly not, but if I were a betting man, uh, I would hammer the over on that for sure. Yeah, five and a half seems really, really low for over-under on wins. I mean, especially when you don't have to get the amount of teams right. I think that they can beat Stanford. I'm going to pencil them in with a win against Southern Illinois and Nevada. Both of them are at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Obviously, they're going to beat Kansas. So that's three right there. So you're guaranteed pretty much three wins. You don't think that they can find a way to beat Texas Tech, TCU, and Baylor? West Virginia. I bet they can beat West Virginia, too. 
Yeah, uh, you know, the, the, like I said, they have owned the series against Oklahoma. Yep. They have owned the Sooners the last few yep. years. So why can't they beat them? You know, uh, yeah, I, I think five and a half is awfully low on that. Uh, they've got their leading tackler back, Jerron McPherson, uh, 6'1", 200-pound senior safety. Most of the guys who are back, though, were not great against the run. KU's run defense last year, pretty average. Cody Fletcher, a linebacker, was third on the team with tackles with 44 last year. I think that he might be the big player to watch this year. If he becomes an all-conference type of a player, that would really help the defense. Julius Brents is kind of the transfer to watch from Iowa on the defensive side of the ball. A great spring by all reports for the 6'4", 204-pound defensive back. The past defense was the biggest difference, Tommy. You wanted to know about why there was a sophomore slump. The past defense for Kansas State gave up 12 touchdowns in 13 games in Chris Kleiman's first year. They gave up 20 in 10 games last year. And Kansas State, coaching-wise, not a good job at halftime. They were outscored 105-59 to in the third quarter last year. So that's our look at Kansas State. I'm going to have a look at where we think things will lay out in the Big 12 after, but we've got a couple more segments to get to. And of course, next up, why do we even waste time? I don't know, but we're going to. The University of Kansas Jayhawks football team. Let's be honest. We're both fans, Tommy. We've never hit that. KU has not been good at anything in football for the last few years. Last year, under 260 yards per game. They averaged a paltry 16 points per game. KU was basically bad in every single game. They didn't play well in any game last year. I have no idea who the quarterback is going to be. I'm not sure Coach Leopold has an idea who the the quarterback is going to be. Coach Leopold has got, his choices are, Miles Kendrick, who completed 61% of his passes but does not push the ball down the field. Jalen Daniels threw for more yards per game but only completed 50% of his passes and only had one touchdown the whole year. Jason Bean Jr., a North Texas transfer, 14 touchdowns, five interceptions last year, 346 yards for North Texas. When you, I got no idea who's going to be the starter. I would love to be able to tell you that, oh, KU's going to have their guy. They're going to stick with them. We're not going to be rotating quarterbacks every two series like we have for like the past decade. Spoiler alert, it has never worked. I would love to tell you that's going to happen, Tommy, but the fact of the matter is I don't think as a KU fan and I don't think Coach Leipold either, I don't see how you can have any confidence in anything that's happening at the quarterback position right now. Do you disagree? Uh, I do a little bit. I think Jason Bean is head and shoulders above the competition. Um, and, And I don't think a guy like Jason Bean coming from North Texas, which this is not the biggest stretch in the world. North Texas is a better football program than Kansas is. So I don't think a guy. No, I don't. I don't think that's a stretch. I don't at think all. a guy that played well at North Texas would be leaving North Texas to come to Kansas if he wasn't going to be the starting quarterback for the Jayhawks. So uh, I think he's head and shoulders above the competition. And from the reports that I've read, uh, he's looked pretty good in practices. So uh, I, I think he's going to end up being the guy. Miles Kendrick is not the quarterback for Kansas. Jalen Daniels is not the quarterback for Kansas. It's going to be Jason Bean. uh, And I think that he'll end up starting every game for the Jayhawks. 
I think that Kwame Lasseter was the bright spot last year. I think he can have an all-conference type of a season. I think they need a solid season out of him if KU is going to be able to buck this one or his no-win trend. I think a good goal for him, 50 catches, 550 yards, would be a good season for him. Luke Grimm is back, but you don't have Andrew Parchman. He's going to be a seminal. I think depth is a concern at the wide receiver position. You did have KU two running backs who averaged over four and a half yards per carry, and neither one of them was Puka Williams. Tommy, I don't know if you and I talked about it. I thought I don't know if you and Weston talked about it either, by the way. I thought the play calling last year early on was extremely ordinary. I don't think that they put Puka Williams in really great situations to be successful. I thought that they were very vanilla. I thought they were, you know, at worst predictable. So I don't think that they really gave their offense a real chance to succeed. Everybody says Coach Leipold is an offensive guru and he turned around Buffalo and made them into a, a big offensive you know, powerhouse team in their conference. And sure, it's probably too quick for it to happen in the first year at a program as bad as Kansas. But, you know, I hope that if even if things don't work out, I hope we at least see a better game plan offensively this year. So I am absolutely in love with the Lance Leipold hiring. Uh, I think it's a phenomenal hiring. And I think the only hire that was better than Lance Leipold was Travis Goff, his athletic director. Uh, I think these two together have an opportunity, the the realest opportunity to be able to turn things around. Um, yeah, I've got a, a few people that I know that have connections that within the athletic world at Kansas. And what I've heard, this is all third hand, but what I've heard is that folks in the athletic world at Kansas are excited to finally have grownups who are running the programs again. Uh, and that's sort of what we've been seeing. Uh, I feel like with Travis Goff and Lance Leipold, was there something that you wanted to say? Weren't, weren't there people excited when Jeff Long and Les Miles came in? And weren't there people excited when we got a name like Charlie Weiss? Weren't people excited about them, too? So what the hell do I have to say about their excitement? It means sure, nothing. No. Show me something on the field. I get it. and But I think you have to keep it in perspective. And, and, and that's what I was going to get to. As much as I love Lance Leipold and the work that he's done at his previous stops and the fact that I really genuinely believe that he's going to be the guy to turn things around for Kansas eventually it's not going to happen this year he didn't he wasn't able to even get an opportunity to be a part of the spring practices for Kansas uh, he joined the the team you know just a couple of months ago he's got to do double the work in half the time to get ready for the season it's just not going to happen the roster is not there but let's also not forget he brought in some guys from Buffalo that were able to transfer for in with him. So I think the roster should be improved, but not improved enough to feel the big 12 caliber team this season. It's not going to happen. Um, so I think KU fans have to keep it in perspective. They've got to trust that Lance Leipold can rebuild it. And I'll be the first to say I was wowed by Jeff Long and Les Miles. I was wowed by the star factor and the it quality, uh, you know, that, that Les Miles had. But, and I was but too. he was not in the right mindset or in the right situation in his life, in his career, to rebuild the program from scratch. That was just not something that he could do. 
Charlie Weiss was the same way. He was not in the in the right position in his career to rebuild a program. David Beatty didn't have the capacity to do it or the connections to do it, and neither did Turner Gill. Lance Leipold, my argument for him is that he has been a proven program builder and rebuilder in the past. He's not a you know, a coordinator from somewhere. He was a head coach that rebuilt a program and he's not a star. He's just a good football coach and he's done a lot with less. And that's what he's going to have to do at Kansas. And so I do like the hire, but it's not going to happen this season. For full disclosure, of course, Weston and I were on Jeff Monken. Uh, that was our preferred guy, the head coach of the Army Black Knights. We thought, hey, bring him in, run the triple option. Maybe that works at Kansas for him. Um, but we were, we definitely both thought that uh, Coach Leipold was a good hire. We, we, you know, we didn't recoil don't forget, with the hire. I was, I was Team Leipold from day you one. You were late, Coach Leipold, day one. I give you full credit for that. So if he fails out in three years, all the blame will be on you. Or if Kansas um, goes to it, a bowl game in three years, the credit then goes you to will me. be a Nostradamus. And if they do that, Tommy, they're going to have to play better defensively yep. because absolutely nobody was worse than the Crimson and Blue last year playing defense. They gave up 46 points per game. Kenny Logan was the team's leading tackler, but two defensive backs last year were the team's leading tacklers, Tommy. That's bad. KU's best defensive end Marcus Harris is playing for Auburn. Dejon Terry is at Tennessee. Is there anybody on the defensive line for KU that can make a play? I think the defensive line play might be the hinge on KU season, might be the difference between zero wins, and I don't know, what's the ceiling on KU? Three wins probably is the ceiling this year. If if the stars align, I'm not predict, predicting a three-win season. I'm just saying if the stars align and KU wins three games, it's going to be because the defensive line plays better. Better, and they have got to play better this year because defensively, KU let teams off the hook so often last year. They, neither side of the ball, the, the two sides, you hear about playing complementary football. The two sides really did play complementary football. They didn't give either one a chance to be successful. I put more of the blame on the offense, but we hear a lot about the offensive exploits of Coach Leopold. I think there's a ton to fix defensively on this team as well, Tommy. Oh, yeah, there absolutely is, and uh, it's not going to happen in year one. I mean, the, the Jayhawks are going to... <laughs> For not sugarcoating, yeah, they're, they're going to repeat as giving up the most points in America this year, um, and that's not a, a criticism of uh, of Coach Leipold or Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator. And that's just the reality of the way their roster stands. You know, when like several of your most you know talented d- defenders are transferring in the off season, and they were already the worst defense in America. That's not going to help things coming up this year. The other thing that I want to point out that's going to make the defense struggle. I think it's going to be worth it in the long run. But one of the things that to keep in mind is that Brian Borland runs a four, three defense, and that's not what Kansas had been running prior to him coming in and following coach Leipold to, to Kansas. So that's going to take some time. You're going to need the personnel to be able to run that four, three defense. Kansas doesn't have that personnel right now to be able to do so. So it's go, it's going to be a struggle. Don't be surprised to see, especially in Big 12 play, Kansas giving up a minimum of 40 points a game. It just, it's going to happen. Do you have the personnel to run any defense at this point? Um, 
No, but they probably have the personnel to run <laughs> some other schemes a little bit better than a four three right now. But I think it's going to be probably. worth it in the long run. And, and once they're able to get, you know, some recruits and they can actually work in that system, I think it's going to pay off. The only thing I care about beat, beat South Dakota. Just beat South Dakota. That's your best chance to win this year. Just get it done on Friday night. Time to go to the best of the rest in the Big 12. For me, Tommy, it's Iowa State and it's Oklahoma. Iowa State Cyclones, you've got 10 starters back for Iowa State on defense. Brock Purdy somehow is still eligible. He is the Perry Ellis of college football. He's thrown for 9,000 yards, 62 touchdowns. Charlie Kolar is his tight end, and he might be the best tight end in the conference. Need some wide receivers to step up. However, they had a great offensive line last year. Two all-big 12 guys are back. They got 12 of their top 15 tacklers back for the Cyclones. Mike Rose might be one of the best linebackers in the conference. And here's the reason why our guy, we both like Kansas State. We both like Kansas State to be, I think, a top-half team, and we both love Deuce Vaughn. The reason he will not be a nationwide sensation is because all the shine is going to be taken by the former Wichita Northwest Grizzly, Brees Hall. First-team All-American last year, the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Here's my out-on-a-limb prediction, Tommy. I think he's got a chance to win the Heisman Trophy. Wow. If Iowa State goes undefeated this year, wins the Big 12 Conference, and Brees Hall is the playmaker that he was last year, explain to me, unless he and Brock Purdy cannibalize each other, explain to me, other than Midwest bias, why Brees Hall can't win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I mean, he electrified the the nation last year with what he was able to do. And, and you know, I, I think that there's an opportunity for Deuce Vaughn to come in there and not not be a better running back than Brees Hall. I want to make that very clear. But I think that he can gain a little bit of the spotlight away nationally. Um, there's sure. there's enough room there for two running backs in the Big 12 uh, to get some sure. national press for sure. Uh, but I do agree with you. Brees Hall is a monster, and that's just going to continue this season. He was the reason why, or the main reason, obviously Brock Purdy is a great quarterback, but he was the main reason why Iowa State was the number one seed in the Big 12 championship. Obviously, Oklahoma won that game. We all know what happened with that, but uh, that you know, it was Brees. It was the Brees Hall show, and it had been uh, for most of the season. He ran all over everyone. Now, the one thing to keep in mind is that you know you're going to have defenses that are going to be able to adjust a little bit more to Brees Hall this season. They're going to be a little bit more used to him, but he still is a dynamic running back and a dynamic playmaker. Uh, and I think that will continue this year for sure. Here's what's really interesting to me, and and I I know that Iowa State. Uh, historically has not had a strong football program, which is a reason why I think you can look at them as the beacon of what Kansas football needs to be is, is be. what Iowa sure. State has done. But I didn't realize they Iowa State enters the season number seven in the rankings. That's not yeah. just the highest preseason rank for Iowa State. That's the highest ranking ever for Iowa State in the top 25 at number seven. They've not won a conference championship since 1912. It's been over a 100 years, and they were in the Missouri Valley Conference, and that was the last time they won a conference championship in football. So it's been a long time. They are overdue, and they're hungry, yes. and they are ready, and they're going to be chomping at the bit to avenge that loss against OU last season. So as as powerful as the Sooners are and always will be, and what Spencer Rattler did last year for OU, and I know we're going to talk about them in a minute or so, 
I like Iowa State in the Big 12. I think they've got a lot more purpose and a lot more passion to be able to go out and upset the Sooners. Not only that, Oklahoma and Texas are going to play with probably the most massive target oh, sure. on their back that we have ever seen from a departing conference member. You thought people hated Missouri and Nebraska when they left? This will make those look like little pea shooter targets. Oklahoma has the best offense in the Big 12, probably is going to, again, they averaged 500 yards per game last year. You mentioned Spencer Rattler, 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions. However, he had a lot of wide receivers, tight ends, lost to the transfer portal. However, the ones that they have back are really, really good. I really like Drake Stoops, really like Marvin Mims, and Mike Woods transferring from Arkansas 1,000 yards for the Razorbacks over the last two years. Offensive line loses center Creed Humphrey and the offensive tackle Adrian Ely, but they do have three other starters back. Can they keep up the improvement on defense? You remember in 2018, Oklahoma played absolutely no defense at all. They gave up 40 or 35 points to Kansas that year. They were god-awful on defense. They really improved last year, third in the Big 12 defensively. But Ronnie Perkins, defensive end, he's in the league. Nickelback Trey Norwood, he's in the NFL. And Brendan Radley-Hiles, defensive back last year, really big playmaker in the secondary. He's now playing for Washington. They have plenty of depth in the front seven. Nick Botiti is outstanding at linebacker, second-team APL American last year, first-team pro football focus. But Oklahoma is going to be dealing with a different level of pressure this year that they haven't had to deal with before, and it's not the football team's fault that they're dealing with it. Well, here's the problem with Oklahoma. It's not necessarily what's going on in the Big 12. I mean, obviously, they're leaving the Big 12, but it's it's never really been outside of Kansas State over the past couple of years. The Big 12 is not really a problem for OU. You know, they, they kind of steamroll their way through. In fact, uh, in the last uh, six seasons, the Sooners are 67 and 8. Uh, in non-conference games and the the Big 12. They're 0-4 in the playoff, though. When they make it into the college football playoff, they can't win a game in the playoff. They can't get over <laughs> the hump. So that's going to be the biggest question for OU, not just this season, but assuming that they leave for the SEC sooner rather than later, or even whenever that happens. They're going to be expected, if you are leaving to go to the SEC, you've got to win in the playoff. You've got to be able to go up against the Alabamas and the Clemsons and, you know, those those other teams and expect to win those games. OU has not been able to do that recently. And so that's the biggest question in my mind about what the Sooners have going on this season is not them leaving the conference. It's not them playing any sort of Big 12 opponent. Uh, and ultimately, you know, I, I do like Iowa State, but if Oklahoma can win the Big 12 and they make it into the playoff again, can they win a game? That's my biggest question mark for them. Before we end up our Big 12 football preview for 2021, I want to ask you a couple of things. Three quick questions. Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas, give me your Big 12 conference winner, and then give me a segment where KU and Kansas State will fall. Will and I, The three segments I'm going to give you are top three, bottom three, somewhere in the middle. So give me your Big 12 champion, and for KU Kansas State, will they finish in the top three, bottom three, or somewhere in the middle? Uh, yeah, so first off, um, as far as the conference champion, I can tell you with every degree of certainty, it will not be Texas. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is a good coach, 
And, you know, he inherits a program that the expectations are always sky high from Longhorn fans. And I think that he can deliver on it a little bit better than his predecessors have been able to do. Tom Herman wasn't able to make it happen. Charlie Strong wasn't able to make it happen. Uh, really, they've been searching for the next Mac Brown for a long time yes, uh, they in, have. in Austin. And I, I'm not saying I'm not going to go so far to say that Steve Sarkeesian is the next Mac Brown, but I think he's the closest thing to Mac Brown that they've had since Mac Brown. But my biggest concern with Texas is the fact that even as recently as Monday, as we're recording this show, Steve Sarkeesian did not name a starting quarterback. He is yet to name a starting quarterback. Uh, so I, I just don't see them going all the way to win the conference championship. Um, so I'm, I'm saying Texas will not. Uh, but then and I said, it. by the way, Tommy, I don't want to limit you to those three teams. We haven't even mentioned Oklahoma State. Yeah. So if you want to pick the Cowboys, pick whoever you want to win. I'm not discounting anybody's chance except for maybe one team. That <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to pick any other team. I think it'll be down between Iowa State and Oklahoma like it was last year. Uh, but I think Iowa State ultimately will win the Big 12. That's my bold prediction. I like Iowa State. Uh, to, to get it done this season. The monkey's on their back to make it happen, and they've proven that they are a talented enough football program. Um, you know, I, I really like what the Cyclones do, so I'm actually going to go with the Cyclones to win the Big 12. Then as far as Kansas State and Kansas, another bold prediction, I think Kansas State, if the stars align and they play well, I think they can finish third in the Big 12. I think they can finish behind wow. Iowa State and Oklahoma. Um, you know, Oklahoma State, Sometimes they look good. Sometimes they don't. They're kind of a flash in the pan team. Uh, I think that TCU will, ha will be improved this season. I think Gary Patterson has a good squad, but I don't think a top three squad. And I don't think West Virginia or Texas Tech, uh, are quite there yet either in my mind. And Baylor's not, uh, also. Um, so I think that Kansas State has an opportunity with Skyler Thompson returning for another season with Deuce Vaughn. If they can shore things up at wide receiver and on defense, I think they can finish top three. And then Kansas, there's really no need to talk about anything else. <laughs> They'll be lucky to win a game. I think they might win against South Dakota. Um, if they play their best football ever, they could beat Duke, maybe, but they will not win against another team in the Big 12, and Coastal Carolina will embarrass them. Uh, so I, I think that I think that Kansas will probably go 1-11, give up the most points in the Big 12. It'll be a struggle. They'll finish last, but hopefully better things are ahead on the horizon. You know, Tommy, every single year in my heart, I'm thinking, you know, there's a, there's a path to three wins. There's a path to four wins. I'm going to, I'm actually considering buying ESPN plus so I can watch the game on Friday. I don't have ESPN plus. I don't like ESPN plus. I don't need ESPN plus. I'm seriously considering buying it so I can watch the KU football game on Friday. I, 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 I'm so pathetically hopeless. It's 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 actually. I mean, shame. I actually went the opposite direction and I canceled the SPM Plus like three weeks ago. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even, I don't even care. I'm not even going to do it. So you're a better uh, fan than I am. I, I I I want it so badly, but I just. I can't see it happening. I've got KU in the bottom three. I'm not quite as bullish on Kansas State as you are. I've got them in the middle of the Big 12. However, I think that they will be in the top half of the middle. I don't think that they will be in that 6-7 spot. I think they'll be in that 4-5 spot. I think maybe that Oklahoma State will be that team in the top three. 
I also am out on a limb with you. I've got Iowa State winning the Big 12 this year. I got them beating Oklahoma, and the reason is the 10. I, we talk so much about Brock Purdy and Brees Hall, and deservedly so. The reason that I've got them is because they got 10 starters back on defense. And when you have a team that takes a big step forward, whether it's in the KCAC or the City League or in the Big 12, when you have starters back, that tends to bode pretty well for your squad. So I'm going to be riding with the Cyclones this year. That's my prediction. So with all of that in the bin, we've only got one more thing to take care of today before we wrap up the show. It is time to hit the music. It has been a while, but it is time for our Wichita Whip Around. It is our one weekly thing that in Wichita sports, maybe you missed. Maybe it's a little further off the beaten path. We try to stay mostly positive with this, but something that maybe you didn't pay attention to that maybe you ought to. And Tommy, we'll hit you with your whip around first. Yeah, so this happened uh, last week. Obviously, we weren't uh, bringing you a show a week ago, so uh, haven't had a chance to mention it. We'll do it right now. Congratulations to Wichita State baseball head coach Eric Wedge. He has signed a contract extension through the 2026 season that adds two years onto his existing contract that was going to run through 2024. Well deserved for Eric Wedge. Of course, last season the Shockers finished 31 and 23. They were 18 and 13 and finished in third in the American Conference. The 18 conference wins and the third place finish well, uh, that was program records since WSU joined the American prior to the 2018 season. Uh, you know, Blake, I know we talked about it back in the spring when this was all going on for Shocker baseball. And I, I know a lot, uh, ha- a lot more happened for Shocker softball uh, this last season, but uh, well deserved for Eric Wedge. I, I wholeheartedly believe that he has the Shockers on the right track and that there's going to be continued success for Shocker baseball under Eric Eric Wedge, so well-deserved in my opinion. And I certainly hope that there will continue to be continued fan support out there at X Stadium for the Shockers because they did, they are improving. They are moving, I think, demonstrably in the correct direction, which I don't think is something that you could really say with your whole heart if you're a Shocker baseball fan, probably at all in the Todd Butler era, to be quite honest. I'm going to stay on campus, but I'm going to go to a different building, Coke Arena. Wichita State Volleyball is off to a 3-0 start with three wins of the Arkansas State Invitational with sweeps over Missouri State and Tennessee Martin and a come-from-behind five-set win against the host, Arkansas State. Lily Lickway, the sophomore libero, was the tournament MVP. Shockers held opponents to hitting just 131 in the event. Briley Kelly, sophomore outside hitter, 341 hitting percentage with 38 kills in three matches. Kaylin Newsom is a freshman transfer from southeastern Louisiana. A double-double in the five-set win over Arkansas State with 36 kills in the weekend. Sophia Rowling, I think, is the best, most consistent offensive player for the Shockers to come back from last year. She had 23 kills and Natalie Foster in the last few matches of last season absolutely got on fire and she has started the season that way as well. A 372 clip for her with 20 kills in limited action, limited sets for her. Wichita State used two setters freshman Lauren Phillips in the first two matches. They went to Casey Litzow, a sophomore, in the final match. That'll be interesting to see how Coach Lamb tries to rotate those two in, how he uses those setters. The Shockers are off to the South Dakota State Invitational this weekend. Matches begin on Friday, 1 p.m. against California Baptist, 
They also play Montana and South Dakota State, and that is our Wichita Whip Around for episode number 75. Real quick, before we get to our additions, corrections, and retractions, it's been a month. I just wanted to check in on your thoughts on the Kansas City Royals. Couple of moves, couple of steps forward after some long steps back. The Royals here recently, though, have been playing some pretty damn good baseball. Salvador Perez is like Ken Griffey Jr. in Major League Baseball featuring Ken Griffey Jr. for the N64 right now. Home runs in five straight games coming into tonight as we're recording this with grand slams in two straight games. Kansas City coming into this recording had won seven of the last ten. They beat a good Seattle team. They lost two of three against the Astros on the road, but then they won two of three from the Cubs before that, and they beat three of four against Houston before that. Your thoughts on where the Kansas City Royals are now with one month left in the season? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, obviously they, they're out of the playoff picture. They have been for quite a while after that big slide in the month of May. However, you have to you have to feel good about the fight that the Royals have and the way that they are pushing their way to the end of the season. Uh, I think it was very easy for not only the, the fans, but especially the players to just start to phone it in over the last couple of months of the season. That's where you start to see teams that are losing a hundred plus games. And we talked about it, you know, a couple months ago about will the Royals lose a hundred games? What will their final record be? And, uh, you know, that looks like unless, you know, barring some sort of major last month slide, they'll avoid losing a hundred games. Uh, you know, they, they've played pretty well, uh, here over the last couple weeks or so, especially offensively. There are still so many question marks with the Royals, even going into next season and the season after that and in the future. But you have to feel at least a little bit better. It's kind of a consolation prize that at least they are showing fight. They are showing heart. Uh, and, and there is, there is talent on this team. I'm not exactly sure if it'll be realized talent full fully or not uh but you have to feel at least okay about the way the last few weeks have gone by the way adalberto who Nicky lopez yeah. is sitting 292 in 119 games with 370 at bats and adalberto mondesi god bless him i think the kid has a lot of talent. I like his attitude. I'm not saying that this is his fault. You know, that there are times when people blame the athlete and say, oh, he didn't prepare himself right. I'm not saying that's the case, but Alberto Mondesi is apparently made out of paper mache and Nicky Lopez is hitting the ball extremely well. I think he's got to get the look for the starting position on the middle of the infield next year. By the way, Edward Olivares has hit five home runs in 23 games for the Royals. He hits a lot of clutch home runs for a guy who's been sent down five times and can't stay at the major league level so maybe let's give him some at bats in the outfield possibly carlos i don't know if you watch this i know you're up till all hours of the night you had a couple of late night opportunities to watch Royals baseball including an extra inning game when uh mike matheny kind of rolled the dice pulled his game uh, i think it was game two of the series he pulled the starter from the next day carlos hernandez over to pitch after a, a very shaky start a shaky outing uh by a royal starter he was dealing out of the bullpen in that extra inning game uh, by the way Brad Keller and Mike Miner, I am I am over these guys. Opponents are hitting 286 off Miner in August. He's got a 5.2 ERA this month, and Brad Keller has been lucky. He loaded the bases twice in his start against Seattle and somehow escaped with only two earned runs. It was two earned runs and about a whisker away from giving up about 
10 earned runs. He walked four guys. I I don't want to see Brian Keller anymore. I, I'm done with this. Yeah, guy. they're going to have to figure out the rotation for next season. Uh, and, and, you know, there are a lot of, I mean, obviously question marks. That's putting it very nicely when it comes to the Royals rotation. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Mike Miner was supposed to be the veteran to bring depth. He did do that. You know, he brought some stability. Early, early in the year, he was year. good. He was good. Uh, he was fairly steady. Hasn't been recently. Brad Keller no. has been a major disappointment all season long compared to what he was able to do with the shortened 2020 season. Um, you know, you don't have Danny Duffy anymore. They're clearing the way for some of these younger guys like Daniel Lynch and Asa Lacey and Jackson Kowar. We'll see. Uh, obviously, we all know about their struggles earlier this season. They were called up too soon. We'll see what happens in 2022. But, you know, really, we're also, you know, we're also going to see what potentially happens this last month of the season with September call-ups, we could easily be seeing some of these guys pitching in the final month of the season. No pressure for them, or at least a low-pressure situation, considering the Royals are out of it at this point. So that could help uh, these young arms gain some confidence going into next season, but we'll have to wait and see. That was the main addition that I had. We get to our final segment here, additions, corrections, and retractions. Thought that being off for a month probably needed to have some sort of Royals content. But any additions, corrections, or retractions for you, Tommy, as we wrap up episode number 75? Yeah, one quick addition. We would be remiss to not mention the Wichita wind surge going into the tail end of their season as the the AA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. They've played really well over the last month or so, uh, and they lead the AA Central division right now. Now with a record of 60 and 42, it wasn't that long ago, Blake, that it, there was maybe a half game between like the top three or four teams in that division. Well, now the wind surge, they've opened up a five game lead over Arkansas. They also have a five game lead over Tulsa, six and a half against Northwest Arkansas. So they've played really well. Uh, they're seven and three in their last 10 games. They're on the road this week at Arkansas and back inside Riverfront Stadium next week for a six game set against. Northwest Arkansas. So it should be exciting for the wind surge down the stretch. Uh, And then if folks went to the wind surge game on Friday, they were able to see the tribute to uh, late owner Lou Schweckheimer, who passed away last year due to COVID-19. And um, what I was told was that it was a a pretty great tribute to him honoring the guy uh, who brought the wind surge to Wichita. Had the opportunity to actually make it to a game. It happened to go into extra innings. And, of course, the wind surge won like they have been. A really fun experience there at Riverfront Stadium. Still hate the name. Cannot stand the name. The Riverfront Stadium is where the Reds play. It's not where Wichita plays. I don't care. I don't care as long as they win. doesn't matter to me what the stadium is called. Fair enough. Uh, But the the stadium is beautiful. Uh, It's a fantastic baseball facility so far removed from what Lawrence Dumont Stadium had become. Going to be a fantastic home for the NBC World Series, and I think really a a great tribute to what the future of Wichita sports can be. And so uh, you've got a month left. Should be some great weather and obviously some really big games coming up with the wind surge playing very, very well. So hope you guys will get a chance to go out and and do that. I've got a couple of uh, vouchers here. A couple of you will be getting a call from me. We've got some I, I've got I got a group of friends. We're going here this month uh, to see the wind surge play again. I can't wait for that. So that is our show, episode seventy-five. The plan here for the rest of the year is we will be weekly, and for at least the time being, we're probably going to be dropping these episodes on Tuesday. That'll get us a- after college football. Of course, the NFL is going to be here in just a couple of weeks before you know it. So there's going to be plenty of football. Sorry, Royals baseball fans. 
you're probably going to get squeezed out until the end of the season. But a ton of football to talk. Kansas State is in action in the college football kickoff against Stanford at an 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. That's on Fox. And, of course, KU opens up their season on two straight Fridays because when you're KU, (laughs) that's when you get to play is on Friday night. And so it's a 7 p.m. kickoff against South Dakota. Will KU get their only win of the year? Uh, We will see on Friday night. Yeah, that's on ESPN+. Plus. So we'll have all those games covered, obviously. And next week, here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be previewing the Kansas City Chiefs. It's hard to believe it's already here. So that is our episode. Thanks so much. Sorry for the delay on getting episode 75 to you, but we are excited and pumped to be back for some outstanding college football and uh, hoping that at least K- uh, Kansas City and Kansas State will be uh, not terrible. KU, I'm I'm just hoping we got one win to talk about this year. Otherwise, it might be a brutal season for us. Before we depart, Tommy, remind people they haven't seen you for like a year. Our devoted and beloved audio listeners, please remind them of where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, well, first off, I'm a little surprised that I was able to get through the show okay. It's been such a long you time did. since I've done this. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at TweetsFromTommy. And if you'd like to get some United States Open tennis tournament tweets, you can follow me. I'll be watching that tournament. It's a great Labor Day tradition, Tommy. I will be watching the tournament on Labor Day. Uh, That is at B.E. Crip. So next week, week one, our thoughts, KU, Kansas State. We're getting even closer to the return of the Kansas City Chiefs. So until then, for Tommy, I'm Blake. You have been watching Keeper of the Game. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G-Pod.